0: We have about 50 guys that are up on the mountain this morning. In fact, as we speak and worship here, Pastor Don is speaking to the guys and serving communion. And Isaiah has been leading worship. And we've had an incredible time. Last night, after the final uh, teaching session, we moved into a prayer time and a worship time. It was so special. It was a prayer moment where literally the atmosphere changed. You could feel a shift in the atmosphere and that tangible sense of the, the reality of God was so present in the room. And for me, that's the home run. And we, we had just some special times of fun and bonding and, and memory. And it, it was really awesome. I got home last night around midnight and I don't always come home during, I always come home, but I don't, I don't always come home early from men's camp uh, I think we've done about 15 men's camps, and usually I stay with the guys, but there are times when I'll come back and, and share with the, the church here while the guys are finishing up up there. And I want to do something today that I've never done before. In the times when I've come back early from camp, I've never shared the same message with the larger church that I shared with the men. I always prepare a separate message for the people who are here and try and keep everything at camp very tailored to the guys. But I would actually like to share a version of the message that I shared with the men on Friday night. We're doing a series right now here at Hope called City of Angels, and we're looking at some of the powerful passages in the Bible where angels are present. And we're identifying some principles and some truths that we can allow to shape our lives and impact us. And I had a great City of Angels message ready for today. But, but I'm going to push that to next week. So I'll, I'll get into that next week. Today, I really feel like I, I want to share... Uh, some of these thoughts from the the men's camp because some of what I shared on Friday night I think is part of the ethos of who we are and what we're supposed to embody as a church family. Uh, I wanna talk for a few minutes this morning on being people of hope. Uh, When we merged Grace with Baseline into our new congregation, we were not casual or flippant, uh, the selection of our name. We were very thoughtful. There was great prayer and great intention behind the selection of our name, and we clearly believed that hope was the name that best embodied what we are supposed to represent at this moment in our existence. And, and so I, I want to talk a little bit about being people of hope. Uh, hope is kind of a, a feminine name so is grace, of course. Uh, hope is actually our middle daughter's middle name. A- and the name hope has some, some traditionally feminine undertones to it when you think of comforting and, and soothing and, oh, honey, it's going to be okay, and let's just keep hoping that things will be better. Um, but, and there's a place for that. And there's a place for men to impart that kind of comfort and that kind of hope. Crush on a, I got my heart broken when I was 16 years old. I developed a crush on a, a young girl on the track team, and she was part of the LDS church. She was Mormon, and we dated for a couple of months, and she invited me to a Mormon church dance and used that as the opportunity to break up with me. So we got to the dance. I was all spiffied up. In fact, my family taught me how to dance. We had a family dance session in the house and, you know, just trying to figure out how to do a few moves. We, I got to the dance. She danced with all the Mormon boys, wouldn't dance with me. And then her mom had to drive me home because we didn't have our licenses yet. So I'm sitting in the back seat. Her mom is driving. And in the back seat of her car, she broke up with me. And I I got into the house and everybody was asleep and I started crying and I I picked up my Bible. I didn't know what to read, but I I said the words, God, I need you to comfort me. And then I did the whole Bible roulette thing, you know, where you just open your Bible and see what it says. And, And my eyes literally dropped to Isaiah 66, 13, where the Bible says, as a mother comforts her children, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted. And that was God. So God describes himself as a mother who comforts. There's a place for for men to express that kind of soothing hope and comfort, just like there's a place for women to be fierce. In Proverbs, uh, the scripture says, it's better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. So certainly women can be fierce and men can be gentle and Jesus was both, but there is another side to hope that is far more than soothing and gentle and comforting. If you were a sex trafficked girl in Cambodia today, hope would look like these guys. This is the the SWAT team from Agape International Missions. This is a ministry that we've supported for years. This SWAT team has kicked down the doors of brothels, directed investigations. They've rescued more than 2,000 girls. The vast majority of these girls have been whisked into a restoration center. They've had two years of therapy. And the vast majority of those girls now work in the ministry as abolitionists. Hope has a face, I'll show you one more picture. Um, This picture is one of the high moments in my life. This was from a few years ago. Um, Jerry Hardy, a man in our church, and I went to Cambodia to visit that ministry. And what you're looking at there, this was a celebration. We were at the original elephant bar in Phnom Penh, the capital city of Cambodia, and they had just rescued a little girl from China. This little girl had been trafficked and was being moved through the country. They intercepted her. They got her taken to the restoration house, and the social workers were helping her. The counselors were surrounding her. The attorneys that work for the ministry were preparing the lawsuit to prosecute the traffickers, and it was awesome. So who you're looking at in that picture is the head of the SWAT team. You're looking at an army general. You're looking at the president of the ministry and his grandson, And that was a high point of my life. If you had been uh, trapped in a cave in Thailand because of premature monsoon rains, do you remember this story from the news from a couple of years ago? Hope would have a different face. Look at this next photo. Uh, If you have not seen the movie 13 Lives, that has to be required viewing. It is an incredible movie with Colin Farrell It tells the story of a soccer team that was um, spelunking, I think is the word for exploring caves, and they were in the back of the cave, and the rains came, filled the caves, and the story of the divers who risked everything and creatively and aggressively went after them to rescue them is beautiful. Um, I know that we are pursuing and need to pursue police reform in certain important areas in our society. But I tell you what, when a cop is good, when a cop is great, like my dad, this is a picture of my father who was a great cop. And actually on multiple occasions, my dad personally was involved in rescuing kidnapped children. When a cop is good, they're the hope of the world. Hope looks like soccer coaches and surrogate moms and teachers and grandparents and big brothers and big sisters. Hope is a force that plants itself in the middle of a tough situation and declares that tomorrow can be better than today. And people of God must be carriers of hope. We are living today, in case you haven't noticed, in a hope drought in our world. Polls and surveys routinely tell us that specifically young people today do not believe that tomorrow will be better than today. When you look at survey results and polls, because of our financial deficits and our divided states, most people do not believe that America's best days are still in front of them. And they might not be. Um, Weather experts tell us that these crazy weather patterns are only going to continue and increase. The interconnectedness of the world around us has changed the global landscape, and we are not going back from it. Our world is radically changing. In fact, I'm probably going to do a series in 2023 from the book of Revelation called Apocalypse Now. Um, Any of you older people ever watch that film? It was a Vietnam War film. It was the the first rated R movie my dad let me watch. But I love the title, Apocalypse Now, Surviving the End of the World as You Know It. Because we know from science that the universe is winding down. We know from science there was a big bang that set the expansion of the universe off and we know that that energy will eventually run down. We know there will be an end. We know it from science, we know it from scripture. We don't know when that will happen if the end times of the world are decades away or lifetimes away, our world is changing. But what will not change, in fact, what is only going to increase is humanity's need for hope. There's a hope famine in the land and I wanna give you this morning um, five, and I'll do it quickly, five, I don't know why I said it quickly, we're not rushed. (laughs) We have all the time in the world. People are casually riding their bikes by, in fact, a whole little group like jumped over the curb here and rode their bikes uh, up the path. But um, I want to give you five qualities and I'm going to take my time. I'm going to go super slow. (laughs) And I want to talk about five essential qualities of a person of hope. So if you're in John 16, let's look at verse 32. In John 16, 32, Jesus is speaking. And he said, a time is coming and in fact has come. When you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The the first quality of a person of hope is this. Number one, people of hope have hope. These words from Jesus were the final words of what we call his upper room or his Last Supper discourse. If you look at the next verse in your Bible, you'll see it immediately goes into chapter 17, and that shows us what we call his high priestly prayer. So Jesus said these words, and then the Bible records an amazing prayer that he offered up, and then the very next chapter shows him immediately crossing over into the Garden of Gethsemane where an angel would strengthen him in an agonizing time of prayer. So so these are the last words that Jesus told his followers. Before the drama of the crucifixion and everything that would happen in that moment, the last words he said were, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, exclamation point, in my Bible, I have overcome the world. People of hope have hope. From all practical perspectives in this moment, hope was about to be extinguished. The candle of Jesus' ministry was about to be snuffed out. His followers were about to abandon him. He was about to be betrayed, arrested, crucified, wherein he would ultimately die in between criminals and murderers. And then in Holy Week church tradition. We call the Saturday after Good Friday the Easter Vigil. A vigil is a time of silent standing after someone has died. In fact, as you watch the proceedings of Queen Elizabeth's funeral, you probably caught snippets of the vigil that was kept. Um, There was no word on Saturday. There was no visible activity of the Holy Spirit on Saturday. There was no indication that the promises and the prophecies of Jesus were ever going to come true. And listen, every person will live through times when they watch their loved ones, when they watch the people they care about, when they watch the promises, when they watch their dreams enter the dark nights of their soul. But a person of hope still has hope when the lights come back on on Sunday. Knowing everything that was about to happen, Jesus said, take heart. Uh, Other other translations say, take courage or be of good cheer. Hey, cheer up, guys. I have overcome the world and it is going to be okay. So how do we do that? How do we have that kind of hope when the lights go out? Uh, Well, on the surface, Saturday was a painful vigil. On the surface, there was calm. There was no sign of life. There was no movement. However, underneath the surface, great forces were at work. When C.S. Lewis wrote his allegory of the Christian life, the Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he talked about something that he called the deeper magic from before the dawn of time. And so when Aslan, the Christ character, had been crucified, And Susan and Lucy were grieving at the stone table where he had died. Those forces, that deeper magic was at work under the surface and it raised Aslan back to life. And listen, there are greater forces at work beneath the surface of your life. Jesus could say, hey gang, uh, take heart, cheer up, be of good cheer because he knew that this deeper force was at work. And, and, And he knew because number two, People of hope have seen the future. People of hope have hope because they have seen the future. Jesus wasn't telling them to be brave and courageous because he was an optimistic guy. Hope is not the same thing as optimism. Hope is not the same thing as being chipper or having a cheerful or a sunny disposition. Hope is a force that comes into our life when we see the future. And we know that the future can be good. In John fourteen thirty, Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming. Satan is like an uncaged lion roaring at me, but he has no hold over me. How could Jesus say that? He saw the future. He knew that his father's plan would be accomplished. He knew that the story was written and that Satan's days were numbered. There are great forces at work beneath the surface of your life. Oh, please capture this this morning. The outcome of your story is not in question. It's so fascinating to me. Almost humorous. If you ever read the book of Revelation, because when we get to the part of the book of Revelation, when there are plagues And judgments, and the world is falling apart, and the rise of the Antichrist is so overwhelming. When you get to that part of Revelation, um, look up at the screen. Look what happens in chapter 19, verse 20. Chapter 19, verse 20 comes after wave of wave after wave of fear and anxiety and trauma and evil. It says, but the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who performed the signs on its behalf, it's half a verse. There have been chapters um, expounding on the woes and the agony of the planet. And then in half a verse, he was captured. It happens again. If you look a few verses later, chapter 20, verse seven, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth to gather them for battle in number. They're like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth. They surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. It's another half verse. It doesn't even take a whole verse. When it's all said and done, the victory of the lamb who is the lion is so easy for God that it's almost anticlimactic. And listen, how could the outcome of the story of God be anything but that? We're dealing with God. We're dealing with the creator of the universe. You know, the story of the Bible is not the story of Jesus and his evil twin, Satan. And we really hope that the good twin wins. Satan is not the evil counterpart to Jesus. In fact, if Satan was the counterpart to someone in scripture, Satan would be the counterpart to Michael the archangel. So yes, fierce. And there is a real battle and there are real casualties and there are real challenges, but not God, not God. So yes, the battle is real. The the way our world is currently set up, there is a real battle. There are real choices. There are losses and tragedies, but the outcome is written. And no, you don't know the choices that your loved ones are going to make. And you don't know how those choices are going to impact your world but you do know who is at work in their story. You don't know the twists and the turns and the detours and the delays, but you know who holds the pen of human history. In fact, at the very end of the book of Revelation, if you look at the very last page of our Bible, in chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's a, a triune. That, that's a Trinitarian promise. I started this story and I'm going to finish it. People of hope have hope because they've seen the future. Sometimes if, if, if the lights don't seem to come back on, if you can't find your bearings, you, you've, you've got to be a, a, a prognosticator. You've got to look into the future. You've got to remember what's been written Since people of hope have this otherworldly perspective, number three, people of hope impart hope. People of hope have hope. They have hope because they've seen the future. And since they've seen the future, they have the ability to transmit hope. Have you ever been around someone who carried so much peace or joy or hope in their life that when you got around them, it just kind of settled over you? You've been around the opposite people, right? Do you have somebody in your life you can just say their name if you want to, where they walk in the room and the anxiety ratchets up. A friend, a friend of mine likes to say, the craziest person in the room has the power. And it's true. But, but there are some people that they carry so much hope that you get around them. And it's almost like when you hug somebody and their perfume sticks to you. In fact, have you ever hugged Pastor Isaiah? He smells so good. And th- there, are, there are times in the office that I'll, I'll hug him and he thinks I'm being affectionate, but I'm, I'm just freshening up my cologne. <laughs> he smells so good. But, but people of hope, impart hope. Take heart, be of good cheer, be strong, be courageous, my friends. Well, to impart hope, number four, people of hope respond in hope. So that, that's how we impart hope. We have to respond in hope. To hopeless situations jesus didn't say the the prince of this world is coming in this world you're going to have trouble so run (laughs) hide out in your small group and maybe it will pass that's not what he said no he responded in hope he said hey listen i've seen the future and no matter what you're going to have to walk through to get there and by the way for most of them it was martyrdom in this moment the end is written your future is sealed And no matter what befalls you, nothing can ultimately harm you. I have overcome the very things that are troubling you today. Um, People of hope respond in hope. I I got ordained as a pastor when I was 28. So we were married at 21 and 23. And our first few years, we were full-time in young adult ministry at a church. And then I spent a few years in the mortgage business because I needed to make money. And... um, (laughs) And learned so much in that industry. But when I was 28 years old, the church ordained me and I I left the mortgage business and we were sent from Washington state to Colorado. And I went on staff at a church and before we left, I made two appointments. I made an appointment with the lead pastor of our church and the executive pastor. And I said, before I take off and go fill this role for the first time, I was a rookie. can, Can you give me some pointers? What do I need to do to be the best staff associate pastor I can possibly be? And so from their perspectives, they each gave me different pointers, but they each said the same thing at one point. They both said, anytime a tough situation arises, because they always will, respond in faith. Even if you don't feel a lot of faith, even if you have to go have your friends pump you up and help you have faith in the moment, respond in faith. If a challenge arises and the lead pastor has to prop you up before you guys can make a plan, um, you're not doing your job. Respond in the moment in faith. And listen, that needs to be the response of our lives. It doesn't mean we act fake. It doesn't mean we act like everything's fine when it's not. It means when the lights go out, we still know who holds the key. And we still believe that the lights will come back on. Um, you, You might not always have hope. But if you're living close enough to the Holy Spirit, there will be enough hope in you that you will still be able to impart hope. Um, you'll, you'll need sisters and brothers. You'll need a small group. You'll need friends to help you do this. But, but that's what it takes to be mortar. At our men's camp, we, we talked about being the mortar that God wants to stick in the gaps in our society, And we talked about what it takes to be a mortar that can stick to something and stay in place and hold things together and not crumble in tough times. That's what gap fillers do. They stand in the gap and they look into the future and they hold on to a transcendent hope and it changes things around them. They respond in hope. In John chapter 11, verse 40, when Jesus was outside Lazarus's tomb, he said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? He responded in hope. and First John 4, 4 John, who heard Jesus say those things, said, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. People of hope respond with hope. And then I'll end with this, number five. So Amanda, you can bring your club back up here. People of hope are not ultimately disappointed. People of hope are not ultimately disappointed. You may have a moment of disappointment. You may have a season of disappointment. The disappointment is temporary. Romans 5, 5 tells us that hope does not put us to shame. Other translations say hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You might be be disappointed in multiple areas, but your disappointment is not final. God's love never fails, and his love will win the day for you. The Holy Spirit is on the scene, the Holy Spirit is at work, and you will not ultimately be disappointed. So, so what do you think? Can Can we live this? Can we be carriers of hope? Can we be a church that lives up to our name and actually has hope because we see the future? And we know what's written, and we know what God's doing, and we can impart hope because we've responded in hope, and we know ultimately that we won't be disappointed. Um, Can we live up to that? Is that a yes? yes? Would you mind standing with me? Amanda's going to lead us in a song called Raise a Hallelujah. It's a powerful song. It's a song about planting yourself in the middle of a tough spot and just worshiping your little heart out until the sun comes back out. Um, In the Bible, in the stories of King David's mighty men, there are stories of times when David's warriors would take a stand. There was one time when David and Eleazar, Eleazar means God is my helper. They were walking through a barley field, and a wave of Philistine warriors came at them. And the Bible says that Eleazar took his stand. In fact, our little grandson Malachi—he learned how to stomp. And if you're a grandparent, you know that all of these things are just epic and genius. No other kid has ever stomped before. But 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 he likes to. There's another passage where Shama was passing through a, a lentil patch. And as he passed through another wave of philistines came and the bible says that shama took his stand and then the lord brought a great victory through those men in those moments so as you're standing can we just all be malachi and just have a little internal heart stomp and just say i am going to position myself in the middle of my life and i'm going to worship and believe and trust and pray i don't know the twists and turns you you may be entering a very difficult season everything i've said is still true because it's still written God's love will not fail you. So let's worship. And let's let's worship as individuals and then let's assume this identity as a people as well. Thank you.